If you have a copy of the Scriptures, you can open to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, this will be our final sermon in this chapter. Now, ever since I became a believer, I always love to hear people's testimonies. When I meet a Christian for the first time, at some point in that initial conversation, I will ask them about their conversion story. How did you come to Christ? I have a story about how God saved me out of darkness, and it is a unique story, and there is no other story exactly like it. And if you are in Christ today, you have a story too. Our stories of how God saved us are unique, one of a kind. They are like snowflakes. They are like fingerprints. One testimony could involve an ex-biker or an ex-gang member who had a drug-fueled life and had blatant and obvious sin, and they met Christ at the darkest time of their life when they were in prison or when they were in some kind of crime or doing some kind of evil, and God reached down into their pit of despair and saved them. Others might have a testimony where they grew up in the church and for years they had no affection for Christ. They had no interest in the things of God. The Bible just sort of washed over them. It did not appeal to them. And then one day out of the blue, all of a sudden, Jesus became so wonderful to them that they abandoned every other ambition of life to follow Him. And so I always love to hear the story, how God did it. What were the circumstances surrounding it? How did you hear the message? What did God use to humble you and to draw you to Himself and to save you? Everyone's testimony will be, I was blind, but now I see. But I like to hear how He did it. Now, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I envision heaven as being a place where we hear everyone's story. We love stories by nature, and I believe that everyone in the new heavens and the new earth will have one. And it seems to me there's going to be plenty of time in eternity to hear and learn about everyone who is there. However, there will be a few people we meet there whose stories we already know. And our text today is one example of that. Jesus encounters a man who we learn from Mark's Gospel is called Bartimaeus. He's poor, he's blind, he's desperate. And he is an encounter with Jesus that would change his life for time and for eternity. So I thought we would consider his story together as we look at this final passage in Luke 18. I divided our text into three parts, so there's three points. Luke introduces us to point number one, a man who is dependent. Verses 35 through 37, sorry, 35 through 36, we meet a man who is dependent. Verse 35, as Jesus drew near to Jericho, 
a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. Now if we draw back for a moment, the big picture in Luke is, starting at chapter 9, verse 51, there's a transition in the Gospel and he is now heading toward Jerusalem. Jesus is going to Jerusalem and He is going to be the Lamb who is going to take away the sin of the world. And He and His disciples are on their journey and Luke records all the various encounters that Jesus has on the way. And as He approaches Jericho, He's going to encounter a blind man. Now, we are not all that accustomed to meeting blind people, but blindness in the first century was very common. And there are several reasons for this. The ancient world was not very advanced in regard to medicine, and often the conditions were unsanitary. In the Middle East, their daily experience would involve wind and sand, which over the years could damage the eyes, And infection could set in, and if left untreated, blindness could be the result. Other times, people were born blind. We see that in the Gospels. Still other times, people were born with sight, but then because of an infectious organism, they become blind as infants. Now, ladies who have had a baby in the hospital, what is the first thing they do with the newborn baby? The first thing the nurse does after he or she is delivered, they take an ointment and they put it in the baby's eyes. And that is an antibiotic to protect the baby from any kind of eye infection that might have happened through the passing through the birth canal. If you've had a child, if you've had it in the hospital, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. So, modern medicine has found at least some ways to prevent blindness. But it would not be uncommon to see blind people in ancient Israel on a daily basis. They became a fixture in their society. And, of course, they would be totally dependent on the generosity of others. The Jews had no social services, they received no help from the government, and so these God-fearing, law-abiding Jews would be the welfare system for such a one as these. They had an obligation, according to God, to take care of the least among them. And what is described here in Luke would be a common posture for someone who is blind, sitting by the side of the road. This, of course, would bring the most visibility because a lot of people would cross his path each day. And the more people that went by, obviously, the better chance that he would receive handouts and the better chance he could provide for his needs. It was a hard life and it was a dependent life. This encounter is recorded in three of the four Gospels. Matthew's account, there are two blind men. Luke and Mark only record one. And that doesn't mean that there's a contradiction. The skeptics like to point that out and say, well, here, here you, you know, you, these guys can't even agree on what happened. Not necessarily. It could be that 
Mark and Luke just decide to focus on the one man. Maybe he was the one who spoke with Jesus and the other one was present, but he was silent. We cannot say for sure, but Luke and Mark fixate on this one man. And as I mentioned, Mark tells us his name, which is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is a man who is dependent. He cannot work to support himself, but depends on the generosity of others. He even depends on others to know what's going on around him. Now, I think we all know that if you lose one of your senses, God has built us in such a way that your other senses are heightened. In fact, my family and I were watching a show the other night, and they showed a blind man who listens to his messages on his cell phone, and he listens to audiobooks, and he plays everything at like five times the speed. And so to you and me, it just sounds like gibberish. He was playing them, and it was like... Seriously, that's what it sounded like. And yet he's sitting there, and he's listening to this, and the reason he understands it and you don't is because he one of his senses has been taken away from him. So he has a very heightened sense of hearing. And we are told this man hears the crowds. So he's used to crowds. He hopes for crowds. But today something is different, and he's unable to perceive what's going on. So he picks up on the increase of foot traffic, He probably hears a greater number of voices than usual, but he needs the help of others to know the reason. He is a man who is dependent. That's point number one. That's the shortest point, by the way. Don't get excited that they're all that short. Point number two is he is a man who is determined. Verse 37. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So the blind man hears the crowd, he hears the traffic, He asks what's going on, and they tell him in verse 37, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, Jesus of Nazareth would not be the most flattering title. Nazareth was an insignificant town and probably a place where nothing significant ever happened. You would not hear people boasting that they were from Nazareth. In fact, if you remember when Philip told Nathanael in John chapter 1 that this teacher was here and he might be the the one that Moses spoke of and he's Jesus of Nazareth, Philip responds by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Like, seriously, you think this prophet that we're waiting for, this Messiah, is going to be from there? But this is the title that the crowd gives. And being the perceptive man that Bartimaeus was, he probably already knew about Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus had been in public ministry for three years at this point. That is sufficient for word to spread throughout all of Israel that he was a miracle worker. He had power over demons. He even had power over the natural world. And this blind man hears that this is the one who is coming and he knows this is his chance. Now again, we have to recognize that this would have been a hard life. It would be hard to be dependent on others for your daily sustenance and add to that the daily struggle of finding your way around in a very dark world. But we discover that while this man cannot see physically, his spiritual senses are keen. He has enough sense to know what is really going on, and he knows who Jesus really is. And so look what he says in verse 38. He cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now notice he doesn't cry out, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on me, which would seem appropriate given the fact that the crowd just told him that's who it was. But that's not what the blind man calls out. Instead, he says, Jesus, Son of David. Now, you probably know this already, but Son of David is a messianic title. In fact, it's one of the clearest messianic titles. In fact, everyone knew that Messiah was synonymous with the title Son of David. This goes back to the covenant God made with David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promises that one of David's sons will reign forever. Unlike the multitude of history's kings who lived and died or whose reign was cut short because of a conquering nation, this king would never die and he would put all of his enemies under his feet and his rule would never end. In fact, I will read it to you. You don't have to turn there. 2 Samuel 7.12 God says to David, this is a promise. He says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, it was evident back in David's day that one of his physical offspring, one of his sons, who lived, well, who came from his body, was going to be the one who reigned over the earth. This was a messianic promise. Now, he says he will build a house for him. So you can only imagine that when Solomon is building the temple, people must have thought, this is the one. And then they usher in this golden age of Israel where they have peace from their neighbors on every side and the amount of wealth they had. 
And then Solomon, later in life, they're like, no, he's not the one. But one of David's sons would be the one. In fact, 17 verses in your New Testament refer to Jesus as the son of David. Messianic. In fact, you cannot get past the first verse in your New Testament without stumbling over this. Matthew 1.1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. So, son of David was the messianic title, and this poor, blind, desperate, dependent beggar uses this title for Jesus. We know how important of a title this is because when Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the children are crying out to Him and calling Him the Son of David, do you remember that scene? It made the religious leaders furious. I'll read it to you, Matthew 21.15. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David! They were indignant. And they said to Him, Do you hear what these are saying? So the Pharisees did not like the fact that these children were attributing that messianic title to Jesus And maybe the crowd in Luke 18 didn't like that either. Because if you notice in verse 39, it says, And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, we don't know who those in front were. The disciples are not mentioned here, and I do not want to implicate them. But, some people are trying to put a stop to this very determined man. And it reminds me a lot about, a lot like a passage we saw in Luke 17, if you remember where the disciples thought Jesus wanted nothing to do with these babies that were being brought to Him, and they tried to tell these mothers to go away and that Jesus did not have time for them. And of course, Jesus rebuked the disciples and welcomed the children. And maybe similarly, it was assumed that Jesus would not have time for a poor blind beggar. But we know that Jesus does have time for such a one. Jesus welcomes the little children. Jesus opens His arms to the downcast. And it's one of the reasons that He came. But the crowd wants to silence Bartimaeus. And they tell him, if I could just put it in a modern vernacular, they tell him to shut up, basically. And as they resist him, he keeps on calling to Jesus. He does it even more. 
Now, what does this tell you about this man? Well, I think it tells us a couple of things. First of all, I think he knows this is his chance. He might not get another chance. It's a big, dark world that Bartimaeus lives in, and here this miracle worker finally is making his way to his area, and this is his shot, and he doesn't want to blow it. He is determined. But secondly, what it also shows us is that he has faith to believe that Jesus will not only heal him, but he believes that he's Israel's Messiah. The religious leaders didn't believe that. Most of the crowd that was gathered there didn't believe that. I mean, their thinking probably is Jesus may be someone important, but he's not that important. He's not Messiah important. Makes me think of the countless versions of Jesus we have in our day. There's the Mormon Jesus, there's the Jehovah's Witness Jesus, there's the Hindu Jesus. There's the Muslim Jesus. There's the New Age Jesus. There's the progressive Christianity Jesus. And in all of them, Jesus is important, but He's not that important. Of course, there's the secularized Jesus who was a good teacher and gave us moral principles to live by about how to love your neighbor And, of course, he's to be ignored on anything he says about gender and sexuality or the roles of male and female. But there are many Jesuses out there, and none of them are all that important. And it seems somewhat rare these days to run into someone who believes in the real Jesus. It's rare these days to find someone who actually believes that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That he is Israel's long-expected Messiah, and he is the Savior of the world. Now, this man believes it. He believes not only that Jesus can heal, but he clearly believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And they tell him to shut up. He yells out even louder. And there's a theological term we have for that kind of determination in the face of adversity. Do you know what that theological term is that Bartimaeus is expressing here? It's called faith. Bartimaeus has faith. And he is determined to encounter Jesus. Now, we could learn a lot from Bartimaeus. We could use some of his determination. And I am preaching to myself as well. We are not very determined in the modern American church. We are content with very little of a spiritual life. 
There is a church in China. I have shared with you about this church before. They're called Early Rain Covenant Church. In fact, we have prayed for that church before our service on a number of occasions, even going all the way back to when we were at the building on Central Avenue. Back in 2018, this church was raided, and many of the people that were part of that church were arrested. Many were questioned and released, only to find out that they were no longer able to rent property, and they were kicked out of the apartments they rented because the the government had put so much pressure on their landlords. So it was a very devastating scene. You've got the elders of that church and anyone who was in leadership was put in prison and the the congregation were pressured to the point where they became homeless. And so it made news around the world and we prayed for them many times. And let me tell you about a church that is determined. I want to read you a brief update from a much longer Facebook post as I'm still keeping uh, an eye on this church. But this is from their own words. This is from their Facebook page. About two months ago, Early Rain Covenant Church began regularly worshiping together in person as a whole church for the first time since they were raided and banned in December 2018. Until recently, they have only been able to meet in small groups and to worship together online. However, now that the church is once again meeting together in person, authorities have intensified pressures against the church, putting leaders on house arrest and intimidating and detaining members. This Lord's Day, authorities forced them out of the venue that they had rented and attempted to force them out of the second venue they found. Some members and new believers have also been forced out of their homes, while others have had their door locks filled with glue, their water and electricity cut off, their tires slashed, and so on. But we still regard worshiping God as the most important form of service in our lives, and we are all the more eager to study the Word of God. When gathering this past Sunday, more than a dozen uniformed and plainclothes police officers, along with some national security officers, came to the scene and told us to leave immediately. However, church leaders refused their demands and maintained peace and order throughout the service. Two plainclothes policemen warned that everyone present might be taken away as a result. Everyone remained silent and listened to the sermon, putting themselves into the hands of the God who loves us and letting the enemy do what they wanted. The leaders and staff who are being guarded or harassed today are the following, and then there's a long list of names. The electricity and water were recently cut off to, another list of names, two of Sister Shoe's tires were slashed, and police have been calling one deacon nonstop. Moreover, one blind brother and one new believer have reported that their landlords refuse to continue renting to them after their leases expire, which they believe is due to police pressure. 
and it's much longer, and there's much more detail I could share, but I think you get the picture. And it made me think, if this came to America, if there were policemen in our congregation, if they were recording our services on their cell phones, if there were armed men standing at the door of our church, how would this affect you? Would it make you more determined to call out to Christ? Would you be more aware of the spiritual warfare that was going on? Having police there? Threatening the people who come? Now keep in mind, some of these people were imprisoned before. Some of them only got out just months ago. The pastor of the church was in there for roughly almost five years. Now what if this happened to our church? What if this happened to a church in America? I wonder how many would not even come. I wonder how many would see what's going on and say, I'm going to keep my distance from that church. I'm not going anywhere near that church. Do you know that they're locking people up? Do you know that they're putting pressure on landlords to not rent to them? Do you think I want to be homeless? We often, generally speaking, in the comfortable church in America, we lack determination. Some people's attitude is, well, you know, we'll come on Sunday if everything works out. We're tired, you know, we're busy, we have a lot going on. And it's as if we're blind and we lose sight of what is most important. You know, we get just caught up in our own world, our own life, and they're not bad things, they're good things, work and family and all of that is good, but when it becomes the main thing, it becomes an idol. If it becomes that thing that keeps you from God, it becomes an idol. And yet sometimes we become so blinded that we think, oh, you know, the worship of God, the things of God is just a secondary thing. I'm going to put it in a compartment over here and I'm going to make this thing first, whatever that thing is. And we are not determined to call out to Jesus. But Bartimaeus, although blind, he was a man who was determined. He did not care what the crowds thought. He did not care when they told him to shut up. He called out even louder. He knew that Jesus was his only hope, and he knew that he needed Jesus now. So Luke introduces us to a man who is dependent. He is a man who is determined. And we discover he is a man who is delivered. Verse 40. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Now I like what Mark adds here. So I want you to keep your finger in Luke. 
turn to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, and he gives us a little more detail about this initial encounter. Mark, chapter 10, verse 49. He calls out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49, And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Now Mark describes here how the tune of the crowd had changed. (laughs) These are the same shut up people. And now they are telling him that Jesus is interested in him. Jesus does have time for him. For this poor dependent member of Jewish society. And Jesus is willing to receive him. And I also love this detail that Mark gives in verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Now the Gospels are full of details. And sometimes we're reading through them and we don't pick up on the details like we should. But good Bible study is about making observation about details. And I wonder, why would Mark include this detail? He throws off his cloak. Luke doesn't mention that. Mark does. And it might not seem like a, that big of a detail, but I think it speaks volumes here. It's a picture of self-abandonment. If you remember, in Luke Prior to this account, a couple accounts before this, was the rich young ruler. We studied that. Same in Mark. If you go back to the previous account, you have the rich young ruler, and what was his deal? He would not part with his possessions to follow Jesus. He held on to them. He would not let them go, even for eternal life. And yet this blind man who maybe would not even be able to find his cloak again in this dark world, with absolute abandonment and the chaos of the crowd and the multitude trampling through this area, basically the very thing that was his sole possession, he throws it off and leaves it behind. Now, this is not an age where they have closets full of clothing. In fact, this is a large outer cloak that men often slept in at night to keep them warm. And so this might be all that he has. Now, maybe he has so much faith that he's going to be healed. He's like, I'm going to follow. I can find this thing once I have eyes to see. But I think the picture more of is he springs up, he throws off this cloak and he runs to Jesus in his dark world so absolutely convinced that Jesus is going to receive him and make him see. Now, I think there is a spiritual picture that's going on here, clearly. Jesus is calling him and to him nothing else matters. 
And this is how we are to come to Jesus. This here, I believe, is a picture of conversion. He abandons it and he goes to Jesus and that is his only concern. Now you can turn back to Luke and we will continue. Luke chapter 18, verse 40. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that one of the things that Messiah would do would be this very thing. In fact, years ago we looked at Luke chapter 4. Jesus goes into a synagogue and He reads from Isaiah's prophecy and He reads this in Luke 4.18 that He would proclaim good news to the poor. He would proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind. Now, maybe Bartimaeus knew this, and maybe Bartimaeus didn't. But he did believe that Jesus was able. He did believe He was the Messiah. And here, once again, is Jesus doing Messiah things. And so, in this very brief transaction here, Bartimaeus goes from a man who is dependent to a man who is determined, to a man who is delivered. And what we come to understand in this passage is that physical blindness was not really Bartimaeus' main problem. Physical blindness was not his main problem. Oh, it was a problem. But his main issue was that he needed to be reconciled to God. And what we have here is more than just the account of a blind man seeing. Don't miss the big, large picture here. These encounters are not only to teach us that Jesus performed miracles. These have a spiritual application. And when a blind man is given sight because of faith, it is a picture of a spiritual reality. And the reality is that Jesus takes lost, blind sinners and gives them sight. That's what this account is about. I once was blind, but now I see. If you think about it, it would do little good if Jesus had mercy on Bartimaeus and He healed him of his physical blindness and then sent him on his way only to stand in the judgment of God someday. What he really needs and what Jesus really came to do is cause the spiritually blind to see and to become people who are delivered from sin and death. In other words, Bartimaeus needed a Savior. 
And so what Luke wants us to know is not just that a blind man sees, but that a blind man is saved. Now you think, where on earth do you get that from the text? Well, if you look at verse 42, where Jesus says, your faith has made you well. The Greek literally says, your faith has saved you. So this is the same word that the Gospel writers and the New Testament writers use when it's talking about salvation. Your faith has saved you. I didn't... Hold on a sec. Your faith has made you well, yeah. So there's more going on here than just a temporal solution to a temporal problem. Jesus having compassion on a blind man. This is an eternal meeting of a lost soul with sin's remedy. And then what happens next is what happens when all the spiritually blind are made to see. If you look at verse 43. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So blind Bartimaeus goes from beggar to disciple. And his following after Christ shows us what was taking place on the inside of the man. He could have left. Jesus heals him. He could have gone back. Where's my cloak? There it is. I'll see you guys later. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. He could have been like those nine lepers, those nine Jewish lepers who were healed by Jesus and they never turned back to thank Him. They never came back. They just went on their way and went to live their lives, if you remember, in Luke 17. But Bartimaeus, we are told, follows Jesus. And he does so because he has been given spiritual eyes to see him. Now, as we conclude, there's an irony in this account that I want you to notice. The seeing crowds did not realize that they were the ones who were blind. Bartimaeus was a blind man who can see who Jesus is and a multitude of seeing people could not. They are the blind ones in this story and the blind man is the one who can see. This is a picture of man's condition. The Bible says that all people are blinded by sin. They are blinded by the cares of this world. They are even blinded by their religious tradition. And the good news is that those who are blind can cry out to Jesus and become as one who can see. That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes dead, blind, lost people and He causes them to be saved and seeing people. And Jesus never turns anyone away who comes to Him. But you have to be dependent. You have to realize your condition. 
You cannot bring to Him your religious offerings. You cannot bring to Him your own attempts at justifying yourself. You have to come empty-handed like Bartimaeus. You also have to be determined. It does no one any spiritual good to have a Jesus who is just alright with me. It does no good to have a Jesus who you check in with once in a while, but really there are a thousand more important things in this life to give your time and attention to. You have to cast off the cloak of your earthly ambitions before you come. You cannot drag your pursuit of the world into a relationship with Jesus. You must forsake them. And then and only then can you be delivered. The Savior of mankind continues to walk through the earth today. Did you know that? He does it through meetings like this, calling people to Himself. He does it through friends. He does it through family members. He offers Himself to the world through His people. And He's walking through today and the question is, will you cry out to Him? When your life is over someday, will your story include meeting Jesus? Or will yours have a tragic ending that He walked by but you never called out to Him? In this account, we saw that there are the crowds, And there are the disciples of which Bartimaeus has become. And those are the only two options. Those are the only choices. You are either in the group of disciples or you are part of that crowd. And there is not a third option. And the good news is if you do not know Him today, but you recognize your need for forgiveness, Take heart. Get up. He's calling you. If you don't know Him today, and I can't see in anyone's heart, I, just, I can assume everyone in this room is a Christian, but if you are not and you're just playing a religious game, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. The question is, what will you do? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, You do not need to pursue us the way You do. You do not need to receive us. We are a often ignorant and hard-hearted people. But those who humble themselves, those who come to You by faith, those who cast off the cares of this life which is so short and so fleeting... They will be received and they will be welcomed and they will be delivered from their blindness. And if there is anyone in this room today or anyone who hears this recording who is in that blind condition, oh God, may they have the faith of Bartimaeus and may you deliver them for time and for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.